You were living your life, climbing the ladder and carving out a career for yourself. You had big plans and big ideas. And then you had a baby and everything changed. Just like that. All of it came to a screeching halt. Maybe you kept working or maybe you stayed home. Either way, your world suddenly became very small. And though you were never alone, you were always lonely. You silently asked yourself, where did I go? Who is that tired looking woman staring back at me in the mirror? Until you remembered something very important. You aren't just a mother. You are a mother plus artist, a mother plus entrepreneur, a mother plus musician, a mother plus yogi. You can have an identity outside of motherhood. My name is Stacy Hudson. I'm a mother to two under four, plus writer, certified health coach, aspiring entrepreneur, and athlete. My name is Stephanie Springer. I'm a mother to 10 and 15-year-old girls, plus writer, music therapist, producer, singer, and teacher. Here, we will interview mom bosses, entrepreneurs, artists, athletes, and passionate hobbyists and talk about how to find the thing that lights you up again. You're in there. We know it. You just have to find her again. Welcome to the Mother Plus Podcast. Welcome to the Mother Plus Podcast. I'm Stephanie Springer. Today, I'm interviewing Pam Moore, who is a Mother Plus writer, podcaster, speaker, and weight-neutral health coach. Pam is a regular contributor to the Washington Post and is the author of There's No Room for Fear in a Burley Trailer. Pam's writing has been published in The Guardian, Time, Runner's World, Outside, Forbes, and Self, among other places. Pam is a certified personal trainer, six-time marathoner, and two-time Ironman finisher. Pam is also the host of The Real Fit Podcast, featuring real conversations with women athletes about body image, confidence, and more. Her mission is to let women know they are already enough. Welcome, Pam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. Can you please tell our listeners about your family and where you live? I live in Boulder, Colorado with my husband, Dan, and my two daughters who are nine and seven years old. You really have such a diverse and dynamic skill set and interesting career path. Can you tell us about your work life and how it's evolved? Sure. I'll try to be quick because there's a lot of like winding turns. And if you want me to like expand on anything, just ask. Um, So I started out as an occupational therapist and enjoyed that work a lot. I got into that because I like to be creative. I like to connect with people. I, you know, was hoping to like make a difference. And I think to some extent I was, but healthcare being what it is, I also felt like a cog in a big machine and not, I wasn't just a cog. I was like a little cog that no one cared about. (laughs) I totally understand. As a music therapist, I totally understand. Yes. Yes. And I think too, um, and I fully own this about myself. I like to get credit for things I do. And you don't, you're not seen. Like if I had a one-on-one like react uh, relationship with a patient and like, we really connected, like that was awesome. But I also wanted my manager or anybody to be like, wow, good job. And like, nobody ever did. So meanwhile, I started a blog in 2006, 2007. At that time I was really into triathlons and a lot of triathletes had blogs. And this was for listeners who may be younger and don't remember or know, there was these olden days when we didn't have Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and blogs were really the only social media, or at least the only one I knew of. So I started my blog and realized, wow, writing is really fun. And it was a hobby. It was purely a hobby. 
And after my first child was born, I co-produced the Listen to Your Mother show in Boulder, which is for people who aren't aware, there's shows nationwide and it's a celebration of motherhood around Mother's Day and it features local people reading their own essays about motherhood. So co-producing that was the first time that I got a chance to really be around writers. I didn't really know any writers. It yeah. never occurred to me like, oh, I could actually, like it had occurred to me, but I didn't actually see myself as a writer. So now for the first time I'm seeing all these people freelance writing and I'm going, oh, maybe this is something I could do. As a side note, Pam is the reason I auditioned for Listen to Your Mother and then eventually became a producer. You were the person who said, have you heard of this show? You need to audition for the Denver show. So it's not an exaggeration to say that that was life changing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I want to say, can we all just like give a big nod to Listen to Your Mother and Ann Immig? Because Listen to Your Mother changed my life too. Right. Like these stories and the experience of telling the story and being around writers, it, it is life-changing. It is. And one of our first interviews was with Brie Hill. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. Um, and Stacy, my, my co-host of this podcast, was supposed to be in the most recent cast. Instead of being Listen to Your Mother Denver, it turned out to be Socially Distant Mother Denver. We could talk about Listen to Your Mother all day. So let's go back to your career story. By the time my second child was born... I was really burnt out on OT and my husband was strongly encouraging me to, instead of coming back to the hospital after maternity leave, to really see where my writing could go. And I did do that in, so she was born in 2014. By 2015, I was, you know, I think not, I'm trying to think how it all went. I was writing for very little money or for free in various like parenting websites and, you know, doing like guest blog posts and stuff and just kind of dipping my feet in. I didn't have a whole lot of confidence. And for my 37th birthday in whenever that was 2015, my husband gave me a book, which he <laughs> secretly self-published. It was a collection of what he thought were my best blog posts. And he gave that to me for my birthday. It's one of the best stories I have ever heard. <laughs> It's really cool. It's unfortunate because he can never give me a better birthday present at this point. No, um, mm -mm. no. Um, and there's actually a YouTube video of of the thing like happening in real I've time. I've seen and, it. I've yeah, seen it's it. It's so <laughs> it is so cool. It's such a good story and a great book, by the way. Thank you. But Stephanie. also the really, truly the most unique. This is my first <laughs> book. Yeah, for sure. And he even he got blurbs from did you blurb it? I feel like you blurbed it. I, I think I did blurb it. You did. Yeah, I think um, I did. Yeah, he got Joelle, my Listen to Your Mother co-producer to write a foreword. It was like this beautiful book. And of course, I was like, you know, that was him saying, I see you as a writer. You know, I didn't really see myself as a writer at that point, but I started to. And gradually, gradually, I grew my career as a writer, but it was like, by default, it was kind of parenting writing. And then it was a little later that I realized this isn't actually what lights me up and what I want to be writing about. Mm. As I mentioned, I was really into triathlons. I still do a triathlon here and there, but it's not like it was. Um, you know, I do, I've done marathons. I'm very interested in all things fitness. And I was like, I want to write about fitness and wellness and health. This is my jam. Like I have a healthcare background. I love competing. I love training. I love just being outside. I love pushing myself. Um, I'm a certified personal trainer. Like I want to write about health and wellness. So I kind of bridged that parenting writing and that fitness writing. And that I kind of started in that vein around 2018. And now I write 
once a month, I write an article for the Washington Post's wellness section. And I've written for a bunch of other publications. I've written for like Runner's World, Time, The Guardian, Outside. I've been writing for Self lately. Um, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, for what it's worth, I've pitched Self like for three years, various ideas for three years until they finally Wait. said yes. So for anyone who's Which, like, oh, this is taking too long, be patient. <laughs> No, and this is one this is one of your strengths and something I want to come back around to later, but I love how you really um you really found a niche. And I think the key is that you said the parenting writing was kind of like meh and you pursued what lit you up. You've been one of the biggest success stories for freelancers. Thank I mean, <laughs> in the last few years, I've really watched your freelance career take off. So when Pam was talking about how many years she spent pitching Self Magazine and like finally, um, I mean, talk about tenacity and resilience and all of that. But one of her really useful skills that she shared with people is not giving up. And I think that's what's most inspiring to me about your freelance journey is that you just kept pitching. And then when you started to find success, you shared your wisdom with readers by creating this ebook. Oh, I love that book so much. Oh, thank you. Now tell us just, just briefly what the book yeah. is about. It's called Seven Pitches That Sold. It's like what I think are best practices for how to pitch magazines and what a good pitch looks like. Like what to include, what not to include. And I include, as the name suggests, I put in seven actual cold pitches that I sent to editors who did not know me. And I sort of did um, what one reader called pitch surgery. I dissect each pitch kind of, and I go, this is why I included this. Look, I included this. Hey, look, it has a typo and look, they still accepted it. So um, that's available from my website. And if you use the code realfit50, you'll get 50% off. And I just think so many writers out there are again, like waiting for waiting for to feel like real writers, and they're looking for resources like that. Like, I don't know where to start. And in here, you just, you just did it. It's just it's such a generous contribution to the world of online writing. Thank you. Um, can we talk about your podcast a little bit? Because as you're talking about your freelance work, and writing about health and fitness, um, you have one of the most authentic and inspiring voices out there when it comes to women's health, weight, fitness. Um, I want to talk about your podcast and how you got into that. Thank you. If you're like, why are you laughing? It's because my husband is like, could we possibly go like maybe an hour without talking about your podcast? Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, maybe I can get out all my podcast discussion with you and save him. Please, <laughs> please do. Podcaster to podcaster. Let's talk yeah. podcasts. I'm so happy you asked, Stephanie. I'm <laughs> I created the Real Fit podcast to feature conversations with women athletes about body image, weight, confidence, this feeling of like never being enough. And mm -hmm. really, I mean, you know, depending on who I'm interviewing, we talk about all kinds of things. But I find that a lot of us, it's like this um, double edged sword. You thrive on pushing yourself and, and feeling strong and going, wow, I did this thing that I didn't think I could do, or I did it faster than I ever thought I could do it. Or, you know, I persevered when conditions weren't great, which is awesome. And at the same time, what's, what's driving this? Yes. It's a sense of community. It's a sense of joy. And for me, for a long time, it was also, I felt I had, I'm putting air quotes, food freedom when I was training really hard and training a lot. And it wasn't food freedom. It was like food prison because I felt like, oh, I'm licensed to eat all these things because I train so much, because I have such a big appetite because of all the training I'm doing. And really, I mean, the truth is I just had this really messed up relationship with food that I am still working on healing, but have done a lot with that. And um, 
I guess I kind of wanted to dive into that with other women and be like, what are we all coping with? How are we alike? How are we different? Like what's working for other people to try to, um, how can we decouple our performance as an athlete or the shape and size of our body and our physique from who we are inside? Like, even though I love being an athlete and I love how I feel when I feel like I'm in good shape, I also have to remember if I was lying in my bed for the next six months, I would still be the same person. I'd still be just as lovable. I'd still be just as much as like, I'd be enough. This is so resonant because it comes back to the core of our our self-worth. And it sounds like a justification. And that's something that we've talked about a lot with some of our guests is I get to do this because dot, 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 right? Rather than just, I deserve it. It's okay. End of story. Yes, absolutely. Like sometimes I get enraged because I see, and this is my fault, not my husband's fault. I see him on the couch, like looking at Reddit or something on the weekend or like reading a book he's read a thousand times. Mm -hmm. And I like, my blood is boiling because I'm like, I'm sweeping. Do you even see the crumbs? I'm wiping the fingerprints from the windows. Do you even see them? You know? And it's like, I'm so jealous. It's all my rage. It's like, it's my projection of like, I wish that I could chill the fuck out. Can we say fuck on this podcast? We can say fuck on okay. this podcast. <laughs> I could chill the fuck out when all the things aren't done. Like just today, I, I gave myself quote unquote, like permission to just like read a book, play around, like write some fiction just for fun, which actually wasn't that fun because I couldn't think of like what I wanted to say, but, but, you know, I gave myself permission to be like, you know what? I do have deadlines. I do have things to work on and I'm allowed to like, just read a book. Cause I want to for a little bit this morning. Um, but I struggle with that feeling of like, I can't rest and I can't relax until all the things are done, but that's not actually true, you know? And so that's why I guess I get like enraged when I see my husband doing, cause I want to be doing that, but I can be doing that. I'm just choosing not to. Go back to your podcast. Tell me what starting that was like and why you decided to, to take this into the podcast format. Yeah. So I guess what I'd been thinking about a pod, not this specific podcast, but the idea of a podcast for probably like five years or more, just kind of thinking about it. And it was right around the time that the pandemic started when I was like, I'm totally going to do this. At that point, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be about. I knew it was going to be women. I knew it was going to be fitness. I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to focus it, but then of course pandemic hits and I'm like, Oh, I don't have the bandwidth. This is not happening. And then as the pandemic continued, the thing started in March of 2020. I launched my podcast in May of this year, 2021. So I'm trying to think when I started to really reconsider things. It was over the summer. It was like the sun, you know, because first it was like, remember, it was like, oh, we're just gonna have a longer spring break. Right. And then it was, you know, so as it started to dawn on me that like this could just be life. And I'm seeing people getting sick and people dying and life changing. And I'm going, I can't wait for the perfect time. Like if I want to do this, I got to, there is no perfect time. Let's just figure out a way. I don't have to release an episode every single week. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just going to try it. Um, I also kind of try to remember if I don't like it, like, I think I'm going to like it. What if I don't like it? If I don't like it, fine, do like a season and then it's over. There's no lifelong commitment just because I started something. So giving myself like permission to not like it or to not do a great job. And also I think I was really scared because I knew that I probably wouldn't do a great job. At least the first, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 episodes. Just like if you look back at my older blog posts, which are like cringy, you have to just get out there and do the thing so you can learn to do the thing. 
you'll never learn to do it if you don't mess up a lot trying I mean, to do it. I mean, don't don't we teach this to our kids? I mean, I see both of my kids getting so frustrated when they're trying something new and they suck at it and it's like you have to suck first. You have to have your cringy blog posts and your awkward podcast episodes. And so many of us, I think, hold ourselves back from doing things we want to do because we have such a low threshold for imperfection. Yes, absolutely. Or even what I think of as good enough is my husband being like, I think you're being a perfectionist. So I had to kind of get over that and be like, oh my God, that's really hard to get over. But I just know that if it's ever going to be good, it has to be bad first. It has to be something. It can't be nothing. And then it's suddenly good. So I kind of got over that. And I and I lined up interviews with people I felt very, very comfortable with. Like my first interview was like my sister. So but yeah, I started interviewing folks in like like November, December of last year. And I launched the thing in May and I forgot what you even asked me. Just... No, this, this is, okay. this is, <laughs> this is what I asked you. <laughs> okay, great. Um, and it's been such a joy so far. I have gotten to get to know people better who I already knew. Even, honestly, even my sister who we talk almost every single day, sometimes more than once a day, even my sister, we got to have like this really deep conversation and, and it was like intentional so asking her these questions that felt really important helped me get to even get to know her better. But people I that I kind of, yeah, even people I kind of knew that I admired that I was, I felt too shy to say, oh, like, can we have coffee or can we do a Zoom coffee? It's easier to say, hey, would you come on my podcast as a guest? I'm just loving it. I'm loving that I'm getting to have these conversations, getting to know people, make new friends. And it's giving me ideas for things I write about and vice versa. Like I'll interview a source and think, oh, this could be a good guest for my podcast. Um, a lot of synergy. I, I, I think what is striking me right now is that it really is an extension of the online writing world that you and I both experienced with blogging or with Listen to Your Mother. But you get to have real like sort of face-to-face -face connections. And I think that's what's so compelling about it because it's, it's storytelling, it's words, but this format is really dynamic for that type of connection, I think. This next question I'm so excited about because I feel like this topic comes up no matter who we're talking to. Your work on imposter syndrome is so fantastic. Imposter syndrome seems to really resonate with women, maybe more so with mothers. And I'm wondering why you think that is and what drew you to that topic? Yeah, thanks for asking. I, I think what drew me to the topic, I'll start there, was that I was coping with imposter syndrome before I had a name for it. So I grew up very, very unathletic, um, did not help that I am extremely nearsighted. Fun fact about me that you probably didn't know, it's not in my bio, I'm legally blind, but I wear contacts. I can see great with my contacts. Um, I can see fine with glasses, but without correction, I am super legally, I am the person that like, I go to the eye doctor and they are literally like, I've never seen anyone with a prescription like this. So I couldn't see, I wouldn't wear my glasses. I got glasses in the first grade. I would not wear them. I was too vain. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that doesn't help you be athletic when you probably cannot see the ball. I can imagine not. Yeah. And then you get into this cycle of, I never do it. So I never practice it. So I'm not good at it. So I keep not wanting to do it. And then why I don't know, I did lacrosse in high school. And by then I was wearing my contacts, but it was kind of too late for me, I think, to develop my hand-eye coordination. I was terrified of the ball. I was terrified of the other girls. It was the opposite of the confidence boosting experience that everybody claims that sports can be for children. My coaches were not supportive. The girls on the team were not particularly supportive. However, I 
found running. You kind of have to run some in lacrosse practice and you want to run to get in shape for tryouts. And once I got over the initial shock of I went around the block and now I'm having a heart attack, I think. Once you kind of continue, if you can force yourself to continue, you adapt. And I was like, actually, I like this. No special skills are required. Just keep going. And as you mentioned before, like, that's kind of what I'm good at. I can keep going. Wow. Oh my God. That feels like really profound. I think we need to pause on that. Like <laughs> no special skills required, just keep going. And you're right. That's what you've done with you. I mean, I would argue that you actually do have quite a few special skills, but, <laughs> but just keep going. That, that is profound. Thank okay. you. Yeah, keep honestly, going. <laughs> yeah, honestly, just keep going one foot in front of the other, you know, keep mm -hmm. showing up. I always say writing and running have so many parallels. Like if I run five times in a week, <laughs> one's going to be terrible. One's going to be great. And the other three are going to be like, meh. But the point is that you showed up, right? So I got into running. I got into endurance sports. So then I, I distinctly remember I showed up for my first Ironman triathlon and um, I dragged my family there with me so that they could clap when I went by. <laughs> As you do. My dad kept saying, "Can I, it's a long day out there. Can I smoke a cigar? Like, would that be okay? And I was like, <laughs> no. and I, I think he was just trying to get my goat. But, but, I, but I could totally see him doing that. I was like, you cannot smoke a cigar on an Ironman course. He was like, no, but like just one, two, you know, no dad. Anyway, so that is hilarious. Yeah. So my sister made a comment as we were dropping my bike off at the transition area the night before or something. And my sister was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. All you triathletes. And I said, oh no, they're triathletes. I'm, I'm not. And she said, what are you then? I said, well, I, I do triathlons. You know, I wouldn't say I'm a triathlete. And she's like, let's look at the facts. She's like, tomorrow morning, you're going to get up at the crack of dawn. You're going to swim 2.4 miles. You're going to bike 112 miles. And you're going to complete a marathon after that, like all in one day. And you don't think you're a triathlete? And I didn't give it a ton of thought. I was sort of like, she's crazy and I'm right, was what I was thinking. And then later, much later, I learned about imposter syndrome. And I thought, Oh, I had a big old case of imposter syndrome. I didn't think I fit in. I thought I was in over my head. I thought I wasn't like all these other people. Like I thought they knew something I didn't know. And it was not true. Well, it's sort of like what you were saying about your husband publishing that book. And he thought you were a writer and you didn't. I mean, the power and courage it takes to claim that, yes, I am a writer. Yes, this is my book. I am an author. Yeah. Yeah. That was scary. Oh my God. When he gave me the book, I was like, what do I do now? Like, what do I do with it? Like, and he was so sweet. He said, you know what, just read it and then decide. And if you decide to give a copy to your parents and that's it, that's okay. If you want to arrange a reading at the Boulder bookstore and sign some copies for all the friends and family that will show up, that's fine too, which I went with, which you B, did, which I did, which was like really was special. There. It was, Thank you for, yeah, it was really nice. There was like so many people there. It was such a special night. And I think imposter syndrome so just a disclaimer, I do think that sometimes what gets missed with imposter syndrome is the fact that women, and in particular women of color, experience legit bias in the workplace. And so in certain situations, it's not super helpful to say, oh, well, that's just imposter syndrome because that's kind of putting the blame on you when actually- Absolutely. It's a systemic problem. Yes. Right. But that also contributes to why some of us do feel imposter syndrome, because at least some of it is coming from the outside, right? When right. other people aren't validating you or listening to your contributions, 
that can change the way you see yourself, which well, is Well, we legit. internalize. We internalize yes. the garbage that we're marinating in. And then it's sort of impossible to discern whether that came from us or whether it came from our environment. Yes, 100%. And um, one of my favorite sayings, and I don't know who told me this, but like somebody once says, why don't you embrace your inner mediocre white man? Just uh-huh. approach the world as if you can't fail, as if as if everything is someone else's problem, you know, like a, I feel like my typical response to feedback might be, oh my God, I messed it up again. It's the difference between like, oh, I'm a shitty writer and oh, I wrote something that didn't quite pass muster. I'll edit it. You know, no big deal. Absolutely. And so it's kind of like being able to frame things that way or notice when you get in that mind spiral of like, I'm terrible. No, you're not terrible. I also think imposter syndrome is a normal function of being out of your comfort zone. I agree. Yeah. And I think actually what has kind of helped me cope with imposter syndrome is to reframe how I think about that anxiety that I get. It's like, instead of going, oh my God, I'm so anxious. Like something terrible must be about to happen. I must be about to make a fool of myself or I'm going to fail. I really try hard to go, I'm out of my comfort zone because I'm trying something new. And if I don't try something new, I will not grow. You have actually presented on this topic. Can you tell me what that was like? Uh, I'll definitely say the first couple of times I felt like an imposter. I was like, I feel like an imposter. This is so meta. I'm getting up here. So meta. (laughs) (laughs) So that's always fun. But what's really fun about getting to speak with people about that topic is, you know, there's always time for Q and A and you hear from a lot of people saying, wow, I feel really seen. I feel like you understand what I'm going through. Now I feel a little better about the situation and just getting this out in the open and having a chance to talk about it. And also a lot of, if I can, when I present on the topic, I have people get in pairs and have little discussions where they really open up to each other. And I think that checks a lot of boxes, but for one, realizing that like whoever you're talking to is experiencing probably some of the same things you are, but I, it also, I'm asking people to not, you know, when you're in a room and someone says, think about this. And like, maybe you think about it, but like, maybe you're also checking your phone when it's like, tell your partner this, then like you actually have to make the words and think about it. So I ask people to think about things like, well, where will you be in a year if you don't try the thing? You know, what could happen if you do try the thing? Um, And another thing that I try to remember and tell people too, is instead of worrying about yourself and what if you fail, how about worry about the, even if it's only one person, but the person or people that you could touch or change or affect if you do put the thing in the world, they'll never get to experience your gift if you don't do it. That's such a powerful reframe. I love that. You know, as you're talking, I'm just noticing this thread of storytelling and people connecting through that experience of I understand what you're talking about, whether it's your podcast or your writing or your listen to your mother experience. Can you reflect a little on sort of that impact of storytelling in general on your life? I think we can agree that storytelling is so powerful. When somebody gives you a lecture, you can't relate to it. It's like these concepts and they're nice and maybe they're rooted in science, but it's, I've always been a reader. I've always been like, there's some, one of my great aunts or uncles, somebody in my family who's much older always says like, oh, I remember you being like four years old and just surrounded by a pile of books. And like my happy place is the library. When I move to a new place, one of the first places I want to visit is the library that was one of the biggest things that was shitty for me during COVID was that I couldn't just go to the library right. and, and just be there. I just want to be surrounded by books, just like browsing. So stories are my happy place. I just, and, it, and, it, and uh, the more I write stories, the more I read stories, it doesn't even matter 
what the story is. It's like the underlying emotion of it. That's what you connect with. So like, for example, I, I had Bell's palsy after my second child was born, which um, listeners who aren't familiar with it, that means the one side of your face becomes paralyzed. And for most people, you become totally back to normal within like a month. But my case was more complicated. It didn't take, it took a lot longer to kind of go back to normal. And then it like relapsed and it never did quite go back to normal. So this has been something that I really had to adjust to and think about. And like, I even grieve, I guess could be a word. It was just really shitty postpartum. Um, The stress of my face being half paralyzed mixed with the guilt of, this isn't actually that big of a problem. Other people have worse cases than me. Uh, Why do I feel so terrible? I should be like really happy that I have this really cute, healthy, pudgy baby and just so many feelings on top of like no sleep. My baby was a notoriously bad sleeper. So it's just terrible. And once I had a little bit of distance from the situation, I wrote an essay about it. I mean, I wrote like a short essay, maybe like a year later. And then I wrote a more like in-depth essay about, I must've started it two years after the fact. And it's funny because even now, I think maybe that essay would look different now, seven years later, but I, publishing that essay was super vulnerable. It made me feel like really exposed. I mean, I was really happy that somebody wanted to publish it. And it was was, such a, it was such a good essay. Thank you. I remember it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cause this was a while ago. So I think 2017, but it was it was really powerful to see how many people came out of the woodwork to say that it touched them in some way. And I guess I say this to say Bell's palsy is a fairly rare condition. So the reason people are liking it is not because they're like, wow, I have Bell's palsy too. And like, I get, right. and certainly there were people in the Bell's palsy community that were like, wow, this really mirrored my experience. Thanks for putting it out there. But all the other people that were like, wow, this touched me or this, whatever it was, it was like, the more you share the details of your experience, the more other people will relate to you, even if they haven't been through that exact same thing, because everybody's been through some kind of loss. Everybody's been through some kind of shame, um, some kind of embarrassment, some kind of unwielding. Well, maybe not everybody's been through the unwielding fatigue, but like everybody's <laughs> a lot of, I would say maybe that might be a hundred percent of moms, but yeah. But we've all had to cope with a circumstance that was out of our control and figure out a way to deal with it or figure out a way to like redefine ourselves and who we are when something about us has changed and it was out of our control. Or, or even if you haven't had that specific experience, like just the, the sadness and the, you know, I just, I just put my true self out there on the page. And it, even though it was so scary, it felt like, well, this was worth it. If this makes other people feel like we have a connection, I think, I think at the end of the day, like that's why I kind of do everything I do because I want to connect with people. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the big reasons we're doing this podcast, because not everybody is going to be a hypnotherapist or an artist or a saxophonist. It's not the specifics of your story. It's when you share your vulnerabilities and your authenticity and you put it out there, people are going to connect, even if they're not familiar with the exact circumstances. And um, I agree. I think that you've really put your finger on why we do these things. So. Yeah. And why, and why we don't try to present ourselves as perfect. Cause like, I don't know about you, but when I see these like perfect people on Instagram, I like hate follow them, you know? Cause I'm yeah, like, absolutely. what perfect thing are you going to do next? And it's right. like, I don't relate to that. No, we actually recorded our, our introductory episode and it was like, this is not how to get your shit together, how to market. And we want it to be inspiring, but not in that 
perfection inspiring. The like, look at this shitty mess that we are all trudging through. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's because there is that thing that that lights us up. And for you, and maybe for me, it's that it's that element of connection with other people. Yeah. Um, and cool. I I love that. But okay, so now making that choice, right, to to follow the thing that lights you up sort of comes with the price because then you have to cram it into your life. And I want to ask you about what your daily schedule looks like and how you how you balance all of these things while you're raising your kids. Yeah, every day probably looks a little different, but an ideal day, and I admit I haven't been doing this lately. I got out of my routine, but my ideal day is like I get up around 5.30 and we have to leave the house at like 7.12 for them to get on the bus. That is so early, Pam. <laughs> yeah. So for me to have like a cup of coffee or a moment or anything without them, that's kind of how early I have to get up. There's never enough time. Cause I like to start the day with a workout. That's like my favorite way to start the day, especially before mm-hmm. anything lands. That's going to prevent me from it. Like that just, I just know that's going to put me in a good mood, but look, I also like to journal. I am an aspiring habitual meditator. I kind of go in and out of the habit. So like, maybe I meditate, maybe I do a few morning pages or maybe I get in a workout. I feel like I get really scattered. Like I'll react to things that come my way instead of stick with the plan and look at like, what are the long-term goals? And then I'm like, oh my God, I got sidetracked. I didn't do the thing. I've been better about time blocking. So even though every day looks different, I kind of have a plan of what I'm going to do. And I have to do it the night before. It's really Mm -hmm. hard for me to have perspective that day, ideally like on Sunday for the week, but in pencil, knowing it could change trying to leave Friday as like a cleanup day slash fun day. Like a lot of Fridays, my husband and I go out for lunch um, or like Friday is kind of my day that I like to do podcast interviews, whether I'm the interviewer or the interviewee today is Friday, everybody. Um, today is Friday. <laughs> my husband is also home and we are very romantically going to Costco after this. So woo. Ooh, yeah. Cause we've already it. been to Kohl's. So, yeah. oh, you, you've had a big day. Oh, it's a big day. Mm-hmm. Friday um, fun day. I love it. Yeah. But I try to do, I try to do like my hard thinking work. Like if I have an article that, um, And like some of my articles that I write are more brain intensive than others. And I know which is which. So the ones that require a lot of brain power, I like to block out 90 minutes or two hours in the morning. I like to conduct interviews after lunch. Obviously, if it's like last minute or I'm really trying to connect with a specific source, I want to be as flexible as possible to accommodate their schedule. But ideally, afternoons are for interviews. Yeah, mornings are for writing podcasting just kind of happens when it happens. One thing that's super helpful for me for podcasting, I found somebody through one of my podcasting Facebook groups um, who lives in another state and we meet virtually once a week to kind of check in and then put our heads down and work. Because before I actually launched, it was like, I didn't really have a fire under my butt to get it going. So I was like, how am I going to, I really need an external deadline. I really thrive on deadlines. So having our weekly date, like almost nothing ever comes between me and that weekly date. So I know that I always have dedicated time to work on the podcast at that two hour block on Tuesday mornings. And then I also, I'll squeeze the podcast into the weekend. I feel, I feel guilty if I'm like working on the podcast when I feel like I could be doing work. Ah, that's like my, my next question is, do you feel guilt when you choose the things that, that you love over the things, either the things you should be doing like work or cleaning up the house or being with your kids? Do do you feel guilt about that? Yeah. Like once I get in the zone, like once I start the thing, I'm just doing the thing. 
-hmm. But the question of what should I do today? Like I could get ahead on the podcast. That would feel amazing. But then I'm also thinking about, oh my God, what if this, and my biggest fear is that I have like a deadline and one of my kids gets sick and I cannot complete it. And I'll wish that I had like had it done before the deadline. Um, So I hate, I like to be ahead on things. And so, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that. Um, I really struggle with that, but time blocking out the week that helps a lot. It helps me go, okay, what, what absolutely has a deadline is and is urgent, you know, what's important, but not urgent. That's important too. Cause what often happens is the important things that aren't urgent, they don't happen. So trying to make sure that, and knowing what those are, I've gotten out of my journaling habit, but I think journaling helps me distill what's really important. What's not. I have a few Trello boards that help me stay organized. And some of those include like, what are my long-term goals? Like, where do I see myself in a few years? Not just, not just, can I, you know, meet my deadlines, invoice the clients, get new clients, da, da, da. That's like the daily grind. But I want to know, I want to be like, how is this propelling me toward three years from now, five years from now? And knowing that I don't have, yeah, but I also don't know exactly what that's going to be, but I'm also okay with that. Cause I'm like, Hey, if I feel like if I'm just taking steps, like going in the right direction, the right doors are going to open for me at the right time. Kind of feel that way. I, it's sort of like what you were saying about how when you do your weekly planning, you write it in pencil. Like I just sort of like that concept in general of in pencil. And that's almost sort of how you approached your podcast was I'm doing this podcast in pencil. If I don't like it, I don't have to stick with it. Uh, if I do a half-assed job one week, uh, so be it. I think so many of us are held back by our perfectionism, imposter syndrome combo that if I don't just do this perfectly all in, like no changing my mind, total commitment, I just think your attitude is really refreshing. Thank you. Well, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned perfectionism and imposter syndrome in the same breath, because they're kind of a reflection of one another, like perfectionism, we see it as a good thing, but it's really a form of procrastination. Oh yeah. It's, 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 it can, it is like the saboteur, right? It will derail us. It just keeps us, it keeps us from taking that first shitty step, writing the first shitty draft. It, it keeps us from moving on our goals because we're waiting for, like you mentioned earlier, that perfect time for things to align. And especially when you have kids, like that's not going to happen. It's not going to line up. I wanted to ask you also, you exude such a strong sense of identity. Did having children derail that at all for you? Did you go through a period where you forgot yourself or are you one of those like unicorn women who just like kept laser focused on that? It definitely threw me off. I feel like you have this new identity and you have to figure out how to shift everything else around it. So like the athlete piece of me was always there. That didn't go away but I've always been creative. Like I like to make things like I've made quilts, I've made pillows, I've made curtains. And I used to do like a weekly craft night. It it got to the point where women I didn't even know were knocking on the door and they're like, Megan said I should come here. And I'm like, which Megan? We had many Megans. You are amazing. (laughs) Just stop. You are, look at all, you are just, you are so multifaceted. No, but that was, I'm a polymath, but that was pre-kids, right? After kids, I'm like, hell no, I'm not inviting people over after the baby goes to bed to like drink wine and make crafts. No, 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 no. I'm, I know. So like the, the, that piece sort of went into hibernation for a bit. Um, my blog, you know, which at that time was like totally, I guess my blog's always been a hobby that I think, I can't even remember if I was blogging when my first daughter was a baby, but I have this really strong memory of, I, I think I had gone back to work, but only part-time and I felt very, 
I guess adrift is the word kind of unmoored. Mm -hmm. And I came across the application for the listen to your mother co-producer position with six hours until the deadline. Oh, I, no. I had known of Ann Immig. I always liked her blog, even though I wasn't a mom and she wrote mostly wrote about mom stuff. I just loved her voice. So I knew who she was. Some other blogger, I think it was Stephanie Wilson was like, Hey, guess what? Listen, to your mother is going to be in all these cities apply to bring it to your city. The applications are at like whatever date at midnight. And I was like, Oh my God. And it was like 8 PM. And I remember Joelle and I were friends, but not great friends. She was the only other person I knew that checked the boxes of friend, mother, writer. So, and she goes to bed really early. And I was afraid that if I called her at that hour, which was like 845, that she wouldn't be awake, but she picked up the phone and I was like, will you co-produce this thing with me? And she was like, sure. What is it? And I was <laughs> Listen to your mother. But I just, I, I, I say this because I remember that moment of applying for listen to your mother in a hurry because I felt like I needed to do something. I felt like, who am I and what am I doing? work didn't feel like I wasn't at work very often. It didn't feel very fulfilling. You know, you're just like with a baby all day. It's, it's, it's hard. It's a grind. It's not particularly fulfilling. No, I mean, it is in a certain way, but not in a lot of ways. And um, not in the brain way. We are fulfilled in the heart way. Right. But like our, our creative brains are like productive brains. Just that's the thing that I think Mm -hmm. is the most unfulfilling. Yes, absolutely. And for me, as somebody who really strongly, and I'm working on this, but I know that I thrive on like external validation. I wasn't getting any of that, like not getting it from my baby, not getting it from work. Then it was like, oh, I could put on this show. I could like be, I could have a leadership position. Like this could be really cool. Um, And it was like so much more than I ever thought it could be. But like, so, but, and I never thought of it in terms of like, like the way you frame the question about identity. I don't think in the moment I was thinking I'm having an identity crisis or I need to reform my, it didn't feel like right. that but looking back I can say yeah I kind of revamped my identity a little bit but I've always been I have always had a lot of interests and been pretty committed to just sticking with them because maybe I'm selfish I don't know no it's wonderful I like how you use the word validation and you used it so unapologetically right because I think so many of us are like god I feel so defective that like I want people in the audience to clap for me, or I want to get this published and have people write really great comments about it. Like, like there's something wrong with us that we should want that validation. No, I think it's human. I think it's human. Well, it was interesting. I was having a little bit of a crisis of confidence recently. And my husband said to me, um, because somebody else, somebody else wrote a memoir about Bell's palsy. And my knee jerk reaction was like, fuck her. I, she wrote my book. Who is she? Who is she? I'm going to, well, who she is, is somebody whose work has been published in the New York times, Vogue, like people magazine, New York times, Buzzfeed are saying, read her book, which I'm totally going to read. And I am really excited about it. She is a really good writer. Um, you know, I was just having a momentary, like childish tantrum. Um, to be clear, I have never thought, gosh, I'd like to write a memoir about Bell's palsy. That has never been my goal. But still, that reaction. And thank you for sharing it. Because yes, who hasn't felt that way? (laughs) Okay, yeah. so here I am like throwing a hissy fit. And my husband said to me, well, I know you want to be known. And I was like, okay, stop. Let me be clear. Yeah, I want to be known, but I don't want to be known for being known's sake, right? I don't want to be like a Kardashian, right? I want to (laughs) be, I want to have an idea that actually matters to people so that 
the fact that it matters, the thing, I don't want to be known for, for just no reason. So, so there's that too. There's that piece, but I do, I also think, yeah, it's human to want to get clap for, to get a pat on the back for someone to say, good job. I think there are so many women that bury that part so deep down inside because they feel like it's shameful. And I've struggled with this. Like, I feel embarrassed by the fact that like, yeah, I want to do something. Like you said, not just to be known, to to contribute something, to matter, something meaningful. And I think with motherhood, the trap is, well, you should get all of that fulfillment and acknowledgement and love and whatever from your family. Whereas I'm like, no, no, I need something out here. I need something more. need something that's just mine. And I think you are such an inspiring person Thanks. to be talking about this with because you really have that clarity of, of purpose and you're not apologetic about it. Thank you. Well, and I will say like, I, there are moments when I wish that my family could be the thing that would fulfill me because I feel like it would make my life so much easier. Oh, I would, yes. right? I w- I, I'm like, sometimes I go, wow, what would it be like to finish the dishes and watch a show? And go to bed and not think, oh my God, there's 18 things on my to-do list I didn't do. Like, how peaceful would that be? But um, at the same time, I'm like, that wouldn't... That's, That's not, not you. Stacy and I were just talking about this yesterday that we have this little bit of envy of why can't we just want this track and just stick with this one track and be fulfilled by it because it would be less complicated. But what I said to her was I became a much happier person when I accepted that that just isn't who I am. That's so that's so on the nose. It just, it's about accepting, not trying to be something you're not. One thing I wanted to say real quick was, um, it wasn't as far as me sort of stepping into my niche of like writing about health and fitness and doing the podcast and doing the weight neutral health coaching and all of this. It was like, it wasn't just obvious to me all at once. Like, Oh, this is where I need to be. I did some work with a coach to try to figure out what do I want to do? There was a process there of like self-exploration. And one thing that happened around that same time was that I let go of my urge to micromanage my food and my exercise in search of what I thought was this way that I should look. And to be honest, what's kind of ironic is I look just about the same as I used to. I, I, I don't, I threw away my scale, but I'm pretty sure I look about the same. If you saw me, you just think I look a little older, but not any different. Right. (laughs) So I, there was a lot that shift of accepting what I wanted to eat and what workout I felt like doing instead of the food I thought I should eat and the workout that I thought would be most effective for, you know, fat burning or performance or whatever. When I stepped into like, what's really going to nourish my body? It was that coincided with my sort of professional identity and going, I'm not going to take the gig that I feel like I should take because it was handed to me. Is it aligned with where I want to be? Um, and that's a luxury. I will say that my husband is the primary breadwinner and I feel very grateful for that. But even having that luxury, it would have been really, I remember the first gig that I turned down because, and even though the money was pretty good, but I remember going, this isn't going to get me closer to where I want to be. It's going to be a diversion. And I want everything to be going the same direction. And this isn't aligned with that. So, uh, uh-uh. and it felt really good. It's very empowering to do the things that, you know, are going to fuel you and put you in the direction where you want to be instead of what you think something from the outside is telling you to do. I love that. The idea of alignment and saying no to those diversions. That's that kind of focus is really that's that's a really useful and empowering tip. I feel like I have learned so much from talking to you. Like (laughs) I like I have what eight years, nine years I've known you. And yet, like you said, with talking to your sister, 
this is this is what is so great about podcasting because you really do go places that you wouldn't if you were just sitting around having coffee. It's true. Just, it's true. Cut right to the meat of the matter. Yes, I mean, and well, and you ask really good questions. I will say. Thank you. But I love yeah. I love these. Like I don't like fluffy, superficial conversations. This is I could do this all day. I mean, I mean, I could talk for days and days and days. I know. Same. I know you and I would be like a very bad combo, <laughs> or a very <laughs> or good a very good combo. combo. <laughs> Depends on no, how you frame it. I think you asked a lot of good questions and I just had so much fun with you. I mean, thanks for having me. This was great. I did too. Uh, tell, tell our listeners how they can find you. Yeah. You, the best place is my website. It's pam-more, M-O-O-R-E.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. I'm pammore303. I'm on Twitter, pammorewriter. Oh, and I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn doesn't make it easy to just put in like linkedin.com slash No, whatever, they don't. But they don't. I don't know why, but you can find me on go to my website. It's all there. Thank you, Pam. And thank you all for listening. Um, Pam is such an amazing and inspiring person. I'm sure you all learned a lot from listening to her. So you can find her on pam-more.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mother Plus podcast. I know you're all busy moms with better things to do, but if you can find it in your heart to rate and subscribe to the podcast, it would mean everything to us. Stacy and I are bringing new episodes to you every Monday, and we cannot wait to see you back here again. Until then, you can visit us on Instagram at mother underscore plus underscore podcast or www.motherplusser.com where you can submit your ideas for this show read our gritty yet heartfelt motherhood stories, and find out more about the Mother Plusers we have on this show. Catch you next time, friends.